At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Hi, this is Layla from Boulder, Colorado. Today is my birthday, and I'm Happy celebrating birthday. my newfound freedoms of being 18 by buying a lottery ticket, watching a rated R movie solo, and next on the agenda, getting a tattoo. Whoa. <laughs> this message was recorded at 11.41 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, the 27th of September. Things may have changed by the time you hear this, but hopefully today will end without any regrets. All right, here's the show. Well, you wouldn't regret it if you got the NPR Politics Podcast logo tattooed on your body. Uh, Tab, do you have that? No, but but where on your body is the question. (laughs) Lord. (laughs) Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben. I cover politics. I'm Mara Elias, and I also cover politics. And I'm Don Gagne, and I too cover politics. The second Republican primary debate on the Fox Business Network just wrapped up, and it was at times chaotic. That is the sound of seven people not named Donald Trump all trying to get attention at the same time, and that happened quite a few times. The candidates on the stage were North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, former Vice President Mike Pence, businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Uh, The former president and frontrunner Donald Trump was in Michigan, acting like the primary wasn't even a thing. Uh, So let us start with your takeaways from the debate. Mara, what stands out to you? What stands out to me is that I saw nothing in this debate that would change the basic dynamic of the Republican primary, which is that Donald Trump right now is the prohibitive frontrunner. And he's so far ahead in the polls that even if the rest of the candidates solved their collective action problem and all dropped out except for one and rallied around that one person, all of their support combined still might not be enough to defeat him. And I was looking for signs that the Republican field was serious about trying to defeat Donald Trump for the nomination. I saw very few, with the exception of Chris Christie, who has made it his um, raison d'etre for running to defeat Donald Trump. He had a new nickname for him. Right. Here's the former New Jersey governor in the Fox Business Network debate. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that. No one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. I didn't see a Republican field with the stomach, with the exception of Christie, for taking on the front runner. And a front runner who we should note has been indicted four times, tried to overturn the results of the last election, which he lost. And yet he is the prohibitive front runner in the Republican primary. Danielle, we can hear the sounds of a filing center behind you. Uh, You're there at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library where that debate was held. Um, what stood out to you? I mean, I would largely agree with with what Mara said. The thing that I would add 
is jumping off about Trump having been indicted four times on, what is it, 91 counts, that that didn't come up. And that's that's on the moderators as well, not just the candidates, although that in and of itself demands some attention, but that the moderators didn't ask about that. I mean, what that hammers home to me is that this is that this party does not, this, I guess, is largely unified on, no, that's just not a thing we care about. And what's fascinating is that this was the moment that we were all talking about after the last debate, when the moderators asked, would you support or vote for Donald Trump if he's convicted? And there was that really waffly moment where where a few people looked at each other, the hands kind of went up one at a time. It was very telling. We didn't get a moment like that. And that that is worth digging into. So honestly, that's a disappointment to me. Don, you are in Michigan and you went to former President Trump's rally there tonight. That was all about counter-programming uh, and also kind of all about uh, putting himself up as the candidate currently running against Joe Biden. So what was it like? Uh, He did take the stage as if he were already the nominee. He was at a place called Drake Enterprises, and it's an automotive supplier up in Macomb County. Uh, People may know Macomb County as the home of Reagan Democrats of yesteryear. That's going back a ways, right? But this is in one of the more conservative suburban counties around the city of Detroit. And he described this as like a major policy address to look at a future that protects American labor and not foreign labor. What he did was basically describe an auto industry that is on the verge of completely collapsing because Joe Biden is president and because of these mandates that are pushing the auto companies. And again, they're going along quite willingly uh, toward a future where vehicles are electric as opposed to internal combustion uh, engines and, and, and vehicles that, that dominate the roads today. Um, He is also looking for an endorsement from the United Auto Workers Union. Yeah, that really stood out. He it almost seemed like he was asking, begging, I don't know, begging the multiple times, multiple times. He's, you know, he said, Sean Fain, he says, I'm watching him. I think he's a good guy, but I don't know why he doesn't endorse me. You should tell him he should endorse me. And then he criticizes Fain's bargaining uh, technique saying, well, you're asking for a lot of money. And it's like, okay, maybe you'll get the money, but what does it matter? Because if Trump doesn't get elected, all of your jobs are going to be gone in two years and we won't even have an industry. I see people really with mixed emotions because you're striking for wages, but you know your job's only going to be here for two years or three years if you're lucky. So there was a lot of that back and forth. I also need to point out that uh, while this was billed as an address to auto workers, uh, it was in a small place uh, at this manufacturing firm, uh, a parts supplier. Maybe there were 500 people there, and I think it would be generous to say that maybe one in five is a member of the United Auto Workers Union, and this is a non-union factory. So there were lots of workers there who are employed at the factory, and they do not have a union. So I do want to get to the part of the debate where the Republicans on stage, at least a couple of them, did go after Trump 
We heard Chris Christie earlier. Uh, Danielle, uh, how else did they go after the man who wasn't on stage? Right, yeah. So you did have a couple of attacks on Trump, which we also saw in the first debate for the spending during his administration. And the Trump administration did spend quite a bit. And of and of course, if you're a traditional conservative, which Trump is not, uh, and which many Republicans honestly are not these days, that is uh, a thing that you believe in is cutting government spending. Well, um, I, he got that from DeSantis. One other thing is on abortion. R- Ron DeSantis has really decided this is an issue where he can differentiate himself from Donald Trump and seems to feel he can safely attack Donald Trump. Donald Trump lately has not come down on how many weeks uh, during a pregnancy, at which point he thinks uh, abortion should be outlawed. And also, he has refused to say whether he would support some sort of a federal abortion ban, which other candidates, including Mike Pence and Nikki Haley, have said they would sign. Well, Governor DeSantis says that's not good enough, and uh, evangelical Christians should be very upset. And he did that again tonight. Yeah, and what's really interesting about that exchange or that comment from DeSantis is that Donald Trump was very, very critical of DeSantis for signing the six-week ban. He has criticized Republicans in the midterms for blowing the election because they didn't have enough nuance on abortion and were too uh, severe about it. So he is acting like he's so far ahead that he doesn't have to worry about his abortion bona fides or credentials. Because after all, as he also points out regularly, he's the one who created the conservative majority on the court to overturn Roe. All right, we are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, a lot of the questions in this debate were substantive policy questions, and we're going to dig into that. For the seventh year on the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR. In a stressful election year, we know that a good show, movie, or book can feel like a sacred thing. At Pop Culture Happy Hour, we believe pop culture can be good for you. So we're here four days a week to bring you a book, movie, or show recommendation to put you in high spirits. For a dose of old-fashioned pop culture therapy, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast only from NPR. The news can feel incredibly overwhelming. For a breath of much-needed fresh air, head to NPR.org's culture section. From the buzzy movies, tiny desk, and artists that everyone seems to know about, type in NPR.org for the latest and greatest in the pop culture universe. Big news stories don't always break on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture, and podcasts are ready when you want them. In your pocket. Download the NPR app today. And we're back. And this was a substantive debate. At least the questions were quite substantive. Some of them seemed like they were questions that you would expect to hear at a Democratic presidential debate rather than a Republican presidential debate. And in particular, they started by asking these candidates on stage about their views on the United Auto Workers strike. And 
how they would respond to it. Uh, where did the candidates fall? Well, they tried to thread a needle in a very particular way here. A couple of the candidates who at least addressed the question when it was asked of them said that they support workers, but that they don't support unions, or rather union leaders, I think some of them said in some cases. And so that does demand another question, though, right, which is what exactly does that mean? Uh, Often the the candidates also talked a lot tonight about you know, boosting economic growth, economic output, which could then theoretically help workers everywhere, and also policies that would fight inflation, which would also help workers everywhere. But then the question is exactly what specifically more would you do to help these auto workers who feel that they are not be getting their fair share of their company's profits? Well, and, and Don, they were at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, and Ronald Reagan notably, um, you know, busted a union. It was a federal workers' union. 1981. It was the Professional Air Traffic Controllers uh, Union, PATCO, and uh, he did that barely six months into his presidency, and it is the classic kind of get-tough move by a president against unions. Uh, Donald Trump was playing a different game, uh, kind of cozying up to unions, even as union leaders were pointing out in op-ed pieces and elsewhere that he also supports uh, making it harder for workers to organize. And he supports uh, right-to-work laws in states that make it easier for workers not to join unions. Yeah, Don, it'll be really interesting to see whether white non-college voters identify with the culture war that Donald Trump offers them or the kind of economic solidarity that they may feel with union members on the picket line. And Trump did try to present it in very scary economic terms at this event tonight. Again, if Biden has his way with these electric vehicle mandates, your jobs are going away no matter what you're able to win at the bargaining table. So that's a scare tactic as well. Let's talk about immigration. There was a pretty remarkable exchange there. Fox played a clip of Ronald Reagan calling for a path to citizenship, specifically asylum for people who'd come to the country illegally. And there was suddenly a lot of talk about border security and militarizing the border. Yeah, this was one of the most striking moments in the debate for it to be in the Reagan Library and for everyone on stage to be demonstrating how far the Republican Party has moved from Ronald Reagan, certainly on immigration. He signed an amnesty bill. Uh, So it was an interesting place to have this debate when the Republican Party is no longer the party of Ronald Reagan. There was also some daylight between the candidates on whether they'd support a federal ban on gender-affirming care. Right. The the moderators asked a question about whether the candidates would, like you said, support a federal ban on gender-affirming care for minors, we should say, not just for everybody. Uh, But the candidates that answered the question, Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Christie, both seem to not quite say yes. Instead, they said this should be left to the states. And, and so did Doug Berger. Yeah, and I'm very curious where all the candidates would come down on that because also there is that question of a federal abortion ban. And if you say one should be left to the states and you say the other should not, then that that is another kind of daylight. 
This is one of the problems with a debate where there are seven people on stage is you you don't really get a chance to know what everyone's answer to every question would be. Um, and the, the people who most aggressively want to answer often get a chance to answer. Right, yeah. And I think that that was doubly highlighted tonight where you have seven people on stage and not the person that is way ahead of them. So you have these seven people who have a choice of two strategies or some mix of the two. Either try to beat everyone else on stage and be the anti-Trump or try to pick some voters off from Trump. And when seven people are all yelling over each other, it, it was totally unclear what anybody was trying to do. And with all of the yelling, just kind of canceled each other out. It was a chaotic mess. And I don't know who benefited from this debate tonight or how much. At least who on that stage well, did. Donald Trump, Trump benefited very well from may this have. debate tonight for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah too many. There you go. I don't know who on yeah, the stage. Uh, now we have crosstalk on the podcast. It's oh, just like the debate. Uh, yeah, Donald Trump benefited from this debate as he has from the other debate. But the other thing that is important to remember is that it's as if Donald Trump is the incumbent. And this is a field of candidates trying to run against someone who has already been the president. And that is a completely different scenario than usually the opposition party has. Before we end, can I just uh, say that we would be doing a disservice to our audience if we did not tell them about the, the probably the standout zinger of the night that was, I think, in the midst of a shouting match about TikTok, uh, but came between Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor, and Vivek Ramaswamy, the businessman who definitely does a very good job of talking very quickly and and sort of dominating the stage at times. Honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say, <laughs> because I can't believe... You know, they hear that will, of course, be all over your social media feeds and probably cross-stitched onto a pillow very soon. <laughs> you know, our timestamp was looking for something to put on a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> All right, we are going to leave it there for tonight. I'm Tamara Keith. Or is it still? Oh, nope. It's this morning. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben. It's still last night here in California. I cover politics. I'm Mara Liason, national political correspondent. I'm Don Gagne, national political correspondent. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Tunisian shrimp spaghetti, Kung Pao sweet potatoes, and Spanish albondigas. Those are a few of the dishes we learned how to make lately on Here and Now Anytime, a podcast from NPR and WBUR that takes cooking and chefs as seriously as we take the news. Refresh your recipe book and spice up your playlist next time you're in the kitchen with Here and Now Anytime.